The passage is Psalm 100, and it's on page 604 in the Church Bibles. And this is a psalm for giving thanks. Shout for the joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This is the word of Keep that psalm open as we continue our series on stewardship and giving. It may perhaps have seemed a bit strange that we've started this short series this month on our stewardship by focusing in the psalms. And last week we were looking at Psalm 104 and God's abundance and extravagance towards us. And this morning, Psalm 100 and giving with a thankful heart. And I believe that unless we have a clear picture of who our God is, then our stewardship and our giving will go nowhere. Unless we begin to understand the greatness of God and all that he has given to us, our response is going to be negligible. So welcome to Psalm 100 this morning. Sometimes people may ask, how much should I give to God Is there a calculation I can make as to what percentage of what I have, whether that's possessions or income or time or gifts, how much of that should I make over to God? If tithing is biblical, is it an upper or a lower limit to what I should give? Well, we could scour the Old Testament scriptures, if you like, to try and come together with some wonderful mathematical formula as to what it means for us to give, given our resources. But where would we start and what would we include? Tithes, free will offerings, grain offerings, salt offerings, wave offerings, atonement offerings, first fruits. We could keep going and on and on. You see, to actually try and approach our giving and our stewardship of what God has given to us this way is to miss the point. It does turn it just into a mathematical exercise. It becomes a tick box. It's an exercise devoid of emotion or spirituality. Robots might determine their giving in that way. So when AI takes over the world and uh, robots are sitting here rather than people, they may well have an algorithm inside them which says, ah, this is how much I give this week and this is how much time I spend this week. But that's not so for us because we aren't robots, praise God. We're flesh and blood and spirit. We're made in the image of the almighty creator God to serve him, to worship him, to enjoy him. 
So you imagine a husband or wife wanting a ready reckoner to determine how much love they should show to their spouse. And some of you may have had to deal with situations, maybe sadly have been in situations where that's been the case. You know what damage it does to the relationship. So often the scriptures portray the relationship between God and his people in that marriage relationship. In Psalm 104 last week, we saw the abundant and extravagant way in which God pours out his gifts on us. It's not just the necessities, it's not just the bread that sustains life that he gives us. As we saw in that psalm last week, he gives us wine that gladdens the hearts. He gives us oil to make our faces shine. So it's not just the necessities, but it's the nice-to-haves as well that God lavishes on us in his goodness towards us. And our giving is to be a response to the abundance and extravagance of God's provision to us. And that includes the material stuff as well. You know, sometimes I think we've all become Gnostics and we've drawn this incredible division between spiritual and material. And we sort of think, yeah, I'll give God, thanks to God for the spiritual stuff, but we forget about all the material things that he's given us that we need to give back to him for his use. We give because God provides. We give as a sign of our thanks to God. And we are to give with a thankful heart, a thankfulness that is to be one of abandonment to the love God has shown to us. Welcome to the world of Psalm 100. We don't really know the origins of the psalm as to where it was used. Some say it was used in one of the great feasts, maybe tabernacles, maybe one of the others. Others say, no, it was used in the family situation, um, maybe for an individual. But as I read it afresh this week, I reckon this is a worship leader's psalm. I reckon this is a worship leader who's trying to encourage a reluctant congregation to get off their backsides, onto their feet, and let loose for God. It's an incredible psalm of God's goodness and God's um, character. Just look at what, it, what the psalmist has to say. He's the Lord of all the earth, verse 1. He is God, 3a. He has made us, 3b. He calls us his people, 3b. He calls us the sheep of his pasture, 3b. He is good. His love endures forever. His love lasts down the generations. Wow, what a God. I love that last one about the love down the generations. One of the joys um, at communion services here at times, when we are administering communion, is to find that in front of us we have four generations of the same family. It's something very special, but it's a reminder of God's love down the generations. I've been in Christchurch the best part of 45 years now. Some of you I know have been here longer. And... But I think for all of us who've been here that length, we can look back over those who've journeyed with us during those times. Some of them now with the Lord, praise God, and and at rest with him. Others of them now scattered across the globe, really, in, in service for him. But that sense of God's love down the generations. We'll celebrate some of that this afternoon at the annual meeting. As some of you will know, in the mid-60s, Christ Church almost closed. 
We were down to 20 people, and the diocese had to make a decision as to what the future should be. God has been faithful to us as a church down the generations. That wonderful character of God, are you wanting to stand and praise him yet? See, can we say these words with our hands in our pockets or our arms crossed over like this? As, as sometimes I, I send a sense that some of us do when we're singing some of those great worship songs. Now, I'm not saying we should all be there necessarily with our hands in, in the air, but it's amazing how often the Bible speaks of the way in which we worship and pray and links it to posture. And our posture says something. Are we just imprisoning God? Those of you who have a sporting bent and were, were watching either of the matches during the week um, or maybe seeing the end of the cricket yesterday afternoon, I'm sure you probably weren't sitting with hands in pockets by that stage. You were leaping on your chair and, and, and shouting for glee at what was going on in the matches. But if we do that for sport, what are we doing about the God who is Lord of all the earth when we come and worship him and celebrate who he is? I wrote those words this last week just before turning to read Peterson's paraphrase of, um, of Psalm 100 in the message. And I felt vindicated. His first verse in the message reads like this. On your feet now, applaud God. <laughs> Something here about this encouragement to praise because of God's character. But if we aren't convinced by his character, let's be cajoled by his commandments. Again, it's an incredible sequence of verbs in, in the psalm. Within the space of four verses, there's eight imperative active verbs. I think it must rank as something probably of a record in the scripture. I, I, don't take me, don't quote me on that one, but you may want to go away and look again later. But it's wonderful, isn't it? Just look through. Shout, worship, come, know, enter, enter, give thanks, praise. It's bullet point after bullet point or bullet after bullet being fired by the worship leader at the congregation saying, get stuck in to worshipping and praising God. And that exuberant response is described in verse 2 as either worship or, or serve. It's an outpouring of thanks and praise to God and an offering back to God because we've cleared the rubble out of the way and we're able to see God more clearly. Now, there's always going to be more of God for us to learn about. There's always going to be more of God to praise. I found it this past week going through some, some passages in Philippians of just, I've never seen that before, moment as I was reading it. But we need to clear the rubbish out of the way so that we can see God clearly. Think of the joy of those art restorers in Dresden this past week. You know, as they scraped off some of those old layers of paint and found that incredible original of what Vermeer had painted. We're asked to do that in terms of our vision and our experience of God. I wonder what clouds our vision from seeing God. Is it our possessions? Is it our family? Is it our time? pleasures and pastimes, maybe our work, maybe it's our talents. Now don't get me wrong, all of these things are good. They're good gifts from God. But if they take precedence over the giver, then we do not see the giver clearly. 
The psalmist is clear here of who's in charge. It's he who made us and we are his. Or some of you brought up in the prayer book will know it in the old, older version. It's he who made us and not we ourselves. See, our culture is obsessed by self. The news bulletins this morning were full of the latest of the Times rich list. And it talked about the increase in the list of those who were, quote, self-made. Well, I'm just wondering how many people actually work for those who've actually made it onto the rich list to actually call them self-made and ignore all of those who are working for them to get them the riches is interesting. But we're, we're, we're there, aren't we, in terms of, of self. The most frequently requested tune to be used at funerals in this country is, I did it my way. And go onto social media and it's full of selfies. You didn't even have to give the camera or the phone to somebody else to take the picture for you. You did it yourself. That selfish self-centeredness, mine, 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 to do with as I see fit. It's like Gollum with the ring, isn't it? My precious, my precious, I'm not going to let it go. And we know what happened. The psalmist explodes all of that. Drives a coach and horses through such an attitude. And calls us to turn our attention away from self to God and to who he is and what he has done and what he has given. God is sovereign over all that we are and all that we have. God is the one who will lead us in our lives. Remember that a Middle Eastern shepherd walks in front of the flock, not behind it in the English custom. The God who leads us is the good shepherd. God who pours out his love from generation to generation. God who has made all things good, all things fit for purpose. And what does the psalmist say our response should be? Glad, joyful, and thankful praise. So what has this to do with our stewardship, with our giving? I think everything. We saw last week that we're to give out of a mindset which is shaped by the abundance of all that God has given us, not out of scarcity, but out of abundance. We give out of grateful hearts because of all that God has lavished on us, materially, spiritually, emotionally, aesthetically, and any other allies we can find as well, the lot. And the call is to give cheerfully, and joyfully, cheerfully and joyfully. Last week, George referred um, to 2 Corinthians, and I want to take us back there this morning in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Paul was making a collection for the poor in Jerusalem. And he was trying to persuade the Corinthians to give to the collection. He points back to the Macedonians and what they had done in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 2 and verse 5. Paul says, In the midst of very severe trial, the Macedonians' overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Their overflowing joy, the joy is mentioned in Psalm 100, 
results and wells up in rich generosity. And what did they do? They gave themselves first to the Lord. They didn't give themselves first to their tally sticks and the abacus sitting on the shelf in order to work out how much they should give. They gave themselves first to the Lord. And out of that flowed their extravagant giving with overflowing joy. When surveys are done in our diocese and in others, some of the most sacrificial giving comes not from those parishes which are economically rich in terms of their demographic, but some of the most deprived. So I've traveled through Uganda and South Sudan with our partner churches there in areas of, of some of extreme poverty and others of relative poverty. It's in there that I have seen joyful collections, the like of which I've not seen here. Even on days when we say we have a gift day and we're going to bring our gifts to God, I wonder whether we give cheerfully and joyfully. This time last year, Reverend Herbert Chaviri from Kalewe was with us, and in one of the discussions I had with him as to, for his reflections on us as a church, he challenged about the way in which we treat our offering and our, our, our um, material resources as a church. Now, some of that was cultural, I think, because much of our financial giving isn't into the basket on a Sunday. It's done through electronic means and some other place. And I wonder, actually, whether we've lost something by doing that. Well, that's, that's for another day to discuss. But his critique went deeper. He said, how well do we communicate our needs as a church to the church community? And I have to admit, we're not good at doing that. It's an area we need to improve on and, and see where we go. The other bit was the way he talked about the way we, do the off we were doing the offering in the church services. And so are we doing it almost shamefacedly? There was almost a hesitancy about asking for, the, for a basket to go around or the bag to go around. Well, you may have noticed that um, we're trying to change the wording we use as we lead services at the moment, so that when we do and share the offering, it's very much a case of, well, if you aren't putting any money in, offer yourself as the, bar, as the bag goes by for the coming week, knowing that you may well have given financially elsewhere by other means, but as an act, corporate act of offering, give yourself to God as the bag goes by. And also to make sure that the, the one who's leading the service engages us all in, in saying a prayer of thank you for what's been given, rather than just being something very quietly said when whoever's collected it comes up halfway through the last hymn. But we actually do it corporately as part of our thanking God before being sent out to serve him in the coming week. So back to Paul, he uses the Macedonians as an example of sacrificial giving. And then what I think is in very sarcastic terms, he challenges the Corinthian self-satisfaction. He says to them, since you excel in everything, you excel in faith, you excel in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, you excel in love. Oh, really? Or was that where they view of themselves? And now he says, now see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So what does Paul do? Does he give them an equation for them to use on their abacus to determine what they are to give? 
Absolutely not. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We're back to Psalm 100, aren't we? In giving joyfully and gratefully. Then he goes on to say, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. I think it's fascinating. Paul doesn't even see need as a foundation for our giving. Very often we'll say, well, we're going to give according, you know, we, we can recognize need. No, Paul starts with a far deeper foundation, a foundation that, that our giving comes because we are expressing thanks to God. Praise God, it actually meets people's needs when we do it. But the foundation is expressing thanks to God. And again, we're straight back to Psalm 100. Our worship, our service, including our giving, our finances, our time, our talents. So when our treasurer writes a letter explaining the financial gap between what the church council has prayerfully considered God is calling us to, and the income we're getting as a church, what's our reaction? Is it, I wonder what I can afford at the moment, or how can I give thanks to God even more extravagantly than I already have done for what he has given? Did you know that Christchurch nearly didn't get built? When building a church on this spot was first mooted in the middle of the 1850s, insufficient money was raised to put up the building. And the whole project went on hold for three or four years before the building we now have, money was collected to build it. When a notice is given that we need more people to wash up after lunch club, and yes, we do need more people to wash up after lunch club, what's our reaction? Is our response driven by, have I got time? Or how do I make time to serve God, to worship God in this way? And do we offer and do we give through gritted teeth? If so, surely that's the equivalent of singing a great song of worship with our hands in our pockets. We don't really care, do we? Where are we willing to respond to God's gracious giving to us? in extravagance and abundance. Because our giving needs to flow from that understanding of who God is. Like the Macedonians, we need first to give ourselves to the Lord and then to wherever he guides and leads us. Our response to his giving is to respond with cheerful, joyful, and thankful hearts, demonstrated by our willingness to serve using the finances, the time, and the talents that he has given us. Because we are but faithful stewards of what he has provided. But more of that as we look at 1 Chronicles next week. In the meanwhile, Psalm 100, as Peterson has it in the message. And then I'll ask Alison to move on from that to lead us in our, our next song. 
You may want to follow the injunction he puts in the first, uh, first verse of this so that we're ready to sing. On your feet, applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourself into his presence. Know this, God is God and God, God. He made us. We didn't make him. We are his people, his well-tended sheep. Enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home, talking praise. Thank him, worship him. For God is sheer beauty, all generous in love. Love always and ever. Give thanks with a grateful heart.